You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Morning, great to be together. If you're new here, let me welcome you. Uh, my name is Craig, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, on behalf of Grace Church, uh, I just want to extend you a warm welcome and say it's really great to have you uh, here with us today. Uh, we're in a series. We'll be in this series for a few more weeks, uh, and then we're going to go to the book of Daniel and teach through the book of Daniel. That's what's uh, coming next. But a few more weeks, we're in this series that we're calling Remember, Rediscovering the Glory of Church Membership. And what we're talking about is what does it mean to be a church? And last week, I talked about specifically what, is it, what happens when we gather as a church, uh, and what does that mean? When we talked about when we gather, God is present. And I made what was a, a pretty strong case, I tried to make a strong case, that what happens in this moment, in, in not just this church, but any church that gathers to hear God's Word, that gathers to receive the Lord's Supper, that gathers to serve and sing and pray, and all that happens in a meeting like this, that something very unique happens when we gather. You cannot duplicate it. It is God uh, among his people. The people are the temple of God. So when we gather, there's something that is happening unique. And I am not going to take away any of last week. But I also want to say that without taking anything away, it's also true that worship is not restricted to Sundays. And it's not restricted to a gathering like this. The Bible teaches that we worship in God's presence, not only when we gather, but as we scatter. And so today I want to talk about when we scatter. Last week was when we gather. This is when we scatter. And we're going to look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you. You can get that and turn to page 5. 52. If you have any questions, you can text those in, and we answer those on a podcast midweek. We'll do our best to answer your questions about this passage. So the passage we're looking at today says that not only is God present with us, not only is this worship right here, but also as we go into our everyday life, that God intends our lives to be about worship, that the other six days of our seven-day week are scattered when we're not together in this context in corporate worship, that God desires to do something uh, of uh, us to experience worship in all that we do. So let's read uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, but we may not get out of verse 1 today, and that'll be okay. Uh, Verses 1 to 2. This is God's holy word. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. God, as we look at your word this morning, we pray that you would speak to us. We pray that you would give us the gift of revelation from the scripture, that your spirit might speak to us now, that you might lift our eyes and expand our vision for worship. I pray that, that you would expand our vision 
for worship as you expand our vision of you today. We ask this, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you may have noticed, let me give a little context, you may have noticed the word in the first verse, therefore. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, or some translations start with therefore. And when you see therefore in scripture, it's indicating that what's about to be said connects to what was said before. So he said all this stuff, therefore, here's the point. Here's what all that other stuff leads to. So what's all the other stuff? Well, all the other stuff is 11 chapters of the most theologically dense writing, perhaps, in all of Scripture. And what he's saying is, based on everything I've said in the previous glorious 11 chapters, this is how you should respond to that. What he said in the previous chapters, basically, is that we as believers in Christ are saved by grace through faith because of what Jesus has done for us. The previous 11 chapters lays out this case, that whether you're a Jew or Gentile, Paul says he's writing to both, there's probably both in this church at Rome, and so he's saying whether you are a Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. You've all broken the law. Every one of us has broken God's law, and we all deserve his judgment for eternity. But he's done an amazing thing. The God of the law has come himself in in Jesus Christ and has died in our place and has paid the price for our law-breaking. Jesus took the condemnation that we deserve on the cross. He was our substitute. He was buried. He rose the third day. And uh, now if we trust him, if we believe in him, then our sins are forgiven. We are given new life. We are declared right with God. This is mercy. God looks down and does for us what we never could have done for ourselves. And we weren't even looking for rescue and mercy. And he gave it to us through his death and resurrection. And so his point is that because of chapters 1 through 11, this glorious picture of God's grace and mercy, the work of salvation that that has been the culmination of, of hundreds and hundreds of years that people have lived under the fall. Now he has brought Jesus Christ to make all things new, to bring us into his family, to make us part of his kingdom. And he's saying this mercy is so great, in the verse we just read, this mercy is so great that it must inform all of your life, all of your worship. It informs all of our lives, not just this moment on Sunday. So here's the big idea. At all times and in all places, we are to offer our lives in worship to the God of mercy. At all times and in all places, we are to offer our lives in worship to the God of mercy. Worship is not only the thing we do right in here, but it is also the thing we do out there. And for some of us, this is a new idea. And it can revolutionize your, your Christian life. It's a new idea. You, you say, well, I thought being religious or being spiritual or being Christian meant that you went to church and that was sort of your thing. That was maybe your duty or maybe, maybe not just a duty, maybe you like it. That was your religious responsibility. And then you kind of go off and you know, live your life and then come back next 
Sunday. Maybe you go to a Bible study during the week or something like this. But basically, this is what it means to be a Christian, is come together and worship. And again, last week I said this is very important to gather as the people of God. It's huge. But maybe you think that's kind of the sum total of it. Just don't be really bad during the week but come to church, and that's what it is. But this passage is saying, no, it is living a life, which we'll see in a minute, a life before the Lord of worship. For others of us, this is not a new idea. You say, yeah, I know that. I've got that. But my concern about some of these ideas about all of life as worship is that they're these big, vague mantras that really don't play out intentionally in our hearts and minds. Yeah, my whole life is worship. I've got that. I know what that means. But do we really live a life where we make those connections on a daily, hourly basis? Or is that just some kind of a theological grid that we live life, all of life before the face of God, all of life for the glory of God? So we have these various kinds of handles, which can be helpful, but my concern is that we skip over kind of that without really making connections. So I'm going to walk through this text, try to explain it a bit, and then try to be uh, as practical as I can be at the end on how we can walk this out. Following Jesus means because we've been rescued by mercy, we want to connect all of life to him. We want to live all of life for his glory. So when we scatter, we're still worshiping. It's interesting, the benediction, I tried to make this point last week, the benediction, which is the send-off, in one way, that's also the call to worship. It's just like cyclical. So at the end of this service, I'll read a verse to send you out into your week, but that's also the call to worship, to start worshiping, like we do at the beginning of this service. It's sending us out. When we grasp the biblical idea of everyday worship, then our faith will come alive like never before. So whether this is a new idea or renewal, uh, let's jump in. First of all, the first thing I want to point out from the text is the motive for everyday worship. So if we're talking about everyday worship, what is the motive? He says here, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's, the, that's by the way, the worship language, living sacrifice, which we'll look at in a minute. But I'm calling you to present yourself by the mercies of God. Now, that doesn't appear like a motive so much in terms of our motive for everyday worship. But in the NIV translation, it's very clear. Here's what the NIV says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. I urge you, in view of the mercy of God, in view of the previous 11 chapters, in view of the cross and the empty tomb, in view of that, with that in view, with that as your vista, with that as what is before you, with that as what your spiritual eyes are seeing, with that in mind, because of that, because of the mercies of God, I urge you to offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Why is all of life spiritual worship? Because of the mercies of God. The first 11 chapters, as I mentioned, are filled. I'm just going to read you a few verses because we've got to have some flavor. I can't just say, hey, yeah, it's all about mercy. Listen to just a few. If you turn back in the Bible, I don't have the page numbers, but if in the Bible's from the pew, but if you go back to uh, chapter 5, so we're in 12. If you go back to chapter 5, listen to this verse in verse 8. I'm just going to pick, I'm going to read five different verses or so. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ 
died for us. Let's go back one verse, verse 7, I forgot this. He says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person would dare to even die, but God shows his love for us that while we're sinners, Christ died for us. That's mercy. We weren't God's friends, we were opposed to God, and Jesus gave his life for us. Or look in the next chapter, chapter 6, look at verse 23. The wages of sin, wages something you've earned, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of your sins, you deserve death, but there's a free gift for you, free in Jesus. This is mercy. In view of that mercy, that's to affect our lives. Or look at chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are not condemned by God. You're loved by God. You could never be condemned by God. Jesus was condemned in your place. There's no condemnation. Any feeling of condemnation is not true. I mean, it may be, you may truly feel it, but it's not your status. You're welcomed, loved before God. Or look at verse 37 in the same chapter. Verse 37. He says, uh, uh, verse, let's go back to uh, verse 35, I'm sorry. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Okay, what's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? The implied answer is no, none of those. Verse 38, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's saying nothing can happen to you today to separate you from the love of God. I mean, you have been given new life, and it's all just gravy from here on out. You have been given new life, a new status. You've been adopted. The Spirit of God lives in you, he says in those verses. Listen, the point is that nothing motivates like mercy. Nothing motivates like mercy. That's why he says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. In view of God's mercy, offer yourself. Nothing motivates like mercy. Many religions are built upon a fear-based model. This is not Christianity. But many are based upon a fear-based model. I'm afraid God will punish me if I don't perform. So in the pagan religions, that meant you offered a sacrifice to get on the good side of the gods. Or in many religions, God will get me if I don't do the right thing, and so I have to keep these commands, and if I keep them well enough, or at least if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds on the day of judgment, I'm in. I'll be okay. And so it's this fear-based, am I doing enough? Am I avoiding all the bad stuff? It's all this kind of stuff. And Christianity's totally the opposite. The motivation is not, am I keeping up? Am I doing enough? The motivation is the mercy of God. The motivation is, you could never do enough. The motivation is, you failed. You're an enemy of God, and God loved you in your failure and your sin, and he's rescued you, and that's mercy. And Paul says, get that in front of you, because that'll change everything about your life every day in view of God's mercy. What does God's mercy mean? It means we don't get what we deserve if we believe in Jesus. Jesus got what we deserve. So now we're free from judgment. We're free. This changes everything. That's why Paul is urging, 
Offer yourself. He says, okay, here's his point. I want you to offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God. So what's the most compelling thing I could put in front of you to offer you? To, to, so you would offer yourself. What's the most compelling thing? The mercy of God. The mercy of God. At all times and in all places and in all things, offer all of our lives to the God of mercy. To the God of mercy. That's the motive. What's the nature of everyday worship? The motive is the mercy of God. The nature of everyday worship is present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, which is our spiritual act of service. Now, this is a strange term. I'm not critiquing the Bible. I'm just saying it's unusual. A living sacrifice. The word sacrifice means kill. A living killing. Sacrifice is the center of, of worship in the ancient world. If you were a Gentile and reading this, then you knew that sacrifice was the focal point of your religion. You lived under a world with multiple gods. I mean, it was pressure. It was absolute pressure to stay on the good side of all the gods who themselves were fighting against each other at points. I mean, it was a, it was a mess. But you had to stay on the good side of the gods. So pagan religion was about sacrificing to the right gods. So you had different gods of everything in life. You know, if you wanted to have a child, you were unable to have a child. There were fertility gods. You could make some kind of sacrifice. If you wanted your harvest to be good, then you could make a sacrifice to the gods of the harvest. If you were going on a journey by boat, then you, for safety's purposes, you have to make some kind of sacrifice uh, to the god of the sea or the god of the storm or whatever it is. So all of life's controlled by all of these deities, and worship is this, offering the right sacrifice to the right gods. It really had nothing to do with your daily behavior. It really wasn't what kind of person are you, it's just are you offering the right sacrifice so that you will be blessed by the gods. Religion wasn't about how you lived, but what you did in sacrificial worship. Usually would be offering an animal sacrifice, but there were other sacrifices as well. Now, here was the danger that the same attitude really slipped into the Jews' worship as well, oftentimes. What do I mean by that? Well, they practiced an external religion, sacrifice, that didn't affect their heart, didn't change them in everyday life. Just the opposite. So, the idea at various parts of the Old Covenant, during the time of the people of God in the Old Covenant, was we're just going to offer a sacrifice and live however we dang well please. We're just going to offer a sacrifice. That's okay. We did our stuff for atonement for our sin, but we're going to go over here and it's not really connected to our daily life. So the, the pagan mindset of worship is just offer a sacrifice disconnected from who you are slipped into Israel and that the prophets condemn this all the time. This is what a lot of the prophets are coming and saying. They're saying, look, you know, obedience is greater than sacrifice. God, at points, God says, I didn't even want your sacrifices. They, they're offensive to me. Why? Because they have nothing to do with your heart during the week. You're, they're two separate things. So here God is saying, don't think of worship as coming and sacrificing something, which would relate it to Jews and Gentiles, sacrificing something and then living however you want. Jesus was the dying sacrifice to pay for your sin, now you are to live as a living sacrifice. You are living because Jesus died in your place to make you alive, so now you are to offer your life in worship to him. 
So Jesus is the sacrifice that dies in our place. Now you're a living sacrifice. What does that mean? It means your life is offered to God. Don't just offer your best goat to God and then go live your life however you want. Offer your whole life to God. This is, this is worship. Worship's not coming and slaughtering an animal and then doing what you want. Worship is recognizing Jesus died for me so that now I'm alive and all of my life is to be lived as a living sacrifice. Living on the altar, open to him for his glory as an act. And this is all worship. This is all worship language. He's giving a radical new paradigm for what it means to be a worshiper. Does it mean gathering with the people of God? Absolutely. It doesn't mean no more, it doesn't mean sacrifice. There are no more sacrifices. Jesus did that. Nobody brought animals in here today. If you're a guest, we're not gonna, you know, have an animal sacrifice or something. Jesus is the sacrifice. So that's a radical idea. Don't offer your prize animal, offer yourself. That's what he is saying because Jesus was offered for you. All of your life live to worship him. But it's not only no more sacrifices. If that's not radical enough, he goes on to describe it in physical terms. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, to the, to the Gentiles who read this, that is shocking. Because in the Greco-Roman world, here was the idea. Spirit is good, body is bad. The body is just the prison for the spirit. You die and then your spirit goes Uh, to the gods or whatever, but the body is bad, the material is bad. And so what Paul is saying, he doesn't just say offer your spirit, he says offer your body, that's spiritual worship, your whole person. So what worship looks like in the New Testament is your whole being, including your body. You're created in a material world, you express this in a material way, present all of you before God. This is how Tim Keller Uh, talks about this verse that we just read. He says, Paul is saying that God does not want a purely inward and abstract worship, but a practical and total one. He wants us to give him everything we do. It's not just mystical, spiritual, internal experience, though there is internal experience. It's, It's also practically walking out all of our life before God. This is absolutely a game changer for those who read it, and it's actually a game changer for the religious in our midst who think this is the essence of worship, what we're doing now. It is so much more. It's present your body. It's present all of you. It's not just, as he says here very well, I think, it's not just inward and abstract. It's practical and total. All of life. This is revolutionary at all times, all places, offer our lives in worship to God. That means mundane things. That means things that don't seem very spiritual to us. That means things that don't, on the surface, look very godly, stuck in traffic. I'm often not very godly stuck in traffic, but you know what I'm saying. No, that's a moment for worship. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, it's an all-encompassing, everyday worship, and that's what it means to be holy. It's to live all of life holy and acceptable to God, set apart. That's spiritual worship. Now, you'll note there's, if you have the ESV Bible, you'll note that there's a, a, a superscript up there by spiritual worship, and down at the bottom it says, or rational service. So sometimes it's translated, this is your reasonable service, this is your rational service, this is your rational worship. 
Uh, Sometimes it's translated that way. And the point is that when you grasp God's mercy, the only reasonable, rational, spiritual thing to do is to connect all your life to the worship of God. It's the only reasonable thing. Said another way, coming at that from the backside, we could say this, the most unreasonable, irrational approach to worship is this. Right now, we're experiencing worship, but out there, we don't experience worship, except during our devotional time. Okay, that is irrational. If the mercy of God has come to us, it's absolutely irrational and unreasonable to say, I have a spiritual life which pleases God and a physical life that's different. No, offer your bodies spiritual service, living sacrifice. This is what he's saying. I'm offering all of me to be consumed by him we could say. To say I have a sacred life on Sundays and a secular life the other days of the week is irrational. That's not reasonable worship. It's just the opposite of what he is saying here. To say I have a regular life that is usually not very important unless I'm reading my Bible or somebody sneezes, I say, God bless you. Okay, that's spiritual. But unless I'm doing something like that, it's not really religious. So I, have a, I sort of have this life that is regular and not very important, and then I have parts of my life that are very important, like right now. And this is very important. It's just irra- irrational to say this is the only thing that is important. There's nothing more unreasonable than that. Because of mercy, the most rational way to live is to offer our whole lives to God. Let me say that again. What the verse is saying is the most reasonable, rational, spiritual approach to worship is to say, because of mercy, in view of mercy, I offer all my life to God. All times, all places, all things. That's reasonable. That makes sense. The other sort of dichotomy of life, sort of confused living, this is really spiritual, this is really not, it makes no sense to God. And it should make no sense to us. It should make no sense to us. So the motive is mercy. The nature is offering all of ourselves to the Lord. And the final point is the context of everyday worship. The when, the where, and the how. Um, this verse there are, there are points, before you put this up, let me say something, Rob. There are points, sometimes people get prickly when I quote the message, okay? Uh, it, the message is not a translation of the Bible. It's an interpretation. I always say it's from Eugene Peterson. It's not a group of scholars. It's one guy. So some, I'm a real Bible guy, but some real Bible men and women get all prickly when I quote the message because it's not the real Bible. There are points in the message that Peterson just kills it. And this, is, this verse is one of them. Now, this is not a translation. It's his interpretation, but I think it's exactly what the verse means. Here it is. From the message, verse 1. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Take all of your life and offer it to God. That's what Paul is saying. More importantly, that's what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And he grabs that here. It's your sleeping. Wow, how is that spiritual? You're eating. Uh, Whoa, wait a minute, my eating? My going to work? My walking around? Just whatever I'm doing, my walk around stuff? That's important. That's worship? Well, we don't have to be singing a worship song. Don't have to be reading a Bible verse. That could be worship before the Lord? Yes. 
That's the whole point. It's a new paradigm. It's all of my life could be worship, worshipful before the Lord. Embracing the mercy of God and responding with all of life for him, that's the best thing you can do. That is your reasonable spiritual worship. So how, if everyday worship is offering all of our lives to him, how can we live this out practically? I'm going to give you two points, and if you're taking notes, or even if you're not, you might jot these two ideas down, because they're from the text. I'm not using the words of the text, but I'm giving you two words from this text. The first idea to, to walk this out is to open your eyes to mercy. That's the first one. The second one is open your moments to God. Open your eyes to mercy. Open your moments to God. Open your eyes to mercy. Everyday worship requires cultivating an awareness of God's mercy. If we're not doing that, then we've just got a new legalism. If I'm just saying, hey, yeah, my work's worship, and I'm, I'm eating for the glory of God, we're just tossing around a few trite phrases, and we're not engaged in the mercy of God where we see what he has done in our whole lives, then it will just be a new legalism as opposed to spiritual worship. Open my, in view of God's mercy, by the mercy of God, he says, nothing will motivate you to intentionally offer all of your day like the mercy of God. That is it. Because of his mercy, offer yourself. I mean, if someone were to ask you, why do you work? And you knew they were a Christian answering you, so you're kind of prepped for the Sunday school answer. You know, you might say something like, well, I work to provide for my family, if that's the case, if you have a family. I work to provide for my family. There's verses on that. I could give you a verse about that. So I work to provide for my family, which would be a good answer. Uh, others might say, well, I work to steward my gifts. That's spiritual speak. I work to steward my gifts. Okay, that's good. What's your motive for working? Uh, I want to make a lot of money. Uh, I give, so I can give, but I don't make a lot of money. Or I work because uh, it's fulfilling. God created me as a worker, so it's fulfilling. Those are all good answers. Most of us wouldn't say, why do you work? Because of the mercy of God. In view of mercy, this is my response. According to this verse, that would be a biblical, a central answer. Because of what Christ has done for me, because of him rescuing me, making me part of his kingdom, adopting me into his family, because of this, I now offer everything I do as worship to him. So I do my work as a means of bringing glory and honor to him, as offering myself to him. We need a fresh view of mercy, and we need it regularly. There's one scripture, I love it, that says in Lamentations, his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness, it says. His mercies are new every morning. In the, I don't have a quote to put up for you, but in the commentary on Romans that Keller, uh, I quoted earlier, Tim Keller asked this question, and this just stuck with me. How can you keep God's mercy in view this week? If it says in view of God's mercy, how can you keep God's mercy in view? We all have to have a plan for keeping God's grace in front of our eyes because you'll forget it five minutes after you walk out of here and somebody cuts you off, the kids are fighting in the back seat, you go home, the, the, you burn the lunch. Whatever, as soon as some, your team loses tonight, whatever it is, okay, it will not take long for, you, for the grace of God to be in the rearview mirror. And it won't be in view of God's mercy. It'll be in view of all kinds of stuff, but not God's mercy. 
So we have to have practices of keeping the mercy of God, the grace of God, in front of us, making us aware. Uh, you know, let me make a few suggestions. One, some, a practice, uh, these are practices. A practice that I embraced this summer that's been very helpful for me is I, in the morning, try to have a moment, try to have some, uh, more than a moment, but some time in silence, pausing before the Lord, recognizing he is God and I'm not, I'm not doing anything, I'm not accomplishing anything. I am his creation, I am his redeemed son, and I need him. These are the kind of thoughts that go through my head as I'm silently thinking about him and what he does. But it's just a statement that I need you today. I'm offering myself to you today. I, I'm, I'm saying you are God and I'm not. That could be a, a practice where I'm thinking of all that he's done for me and I'm ready to respond after meditating on what he's done for me. Another one would be just a few chapters before, Romans 8 is a, we read two verses, it's a, two passages, it's a great chapter on the mercy of God. If you have trouble keeping the grace of God, I'm using those synonymously here right now, there's kind of a difference, but let's just call them generally what God has done for us. If you lose sight of God's mercy, God's grace, here's what you could do. You could read Romans 8 every day for the next month. Grab a journal, piece of paper, read it through, and write down sightings of mercy. What do I view? What has God done for me? How has God been gracious to me? How has God been kind to me? How has God been faithful to me? You could just read that and write those down. Get it on audio and get it playing. I don't know, that's a practice, a chapter of grace that's going to be in front of me. Uh, you could read books on what, that, that focus on what God has done and not just what you're supposed to do. There's a lot of books in the Christian world about what are you supposed to do, and that's helpful because a lot of the Bible tells us what to do. That's good, but if our what I'm doing is detached from what he's done, then it is empty, and it is not our spiritual act of worship. So we have a book that we give out at the Connect Center called The Gospel, the Green Book, The Gospel. You could just read that book, write down what, what is it that is speaking to you about what God has done for you. If you listen to audio books, if you're an audio person, you're really blessed because you can just keep audio. I keep audio books running as the background of my life. So I've always got, they're not all Christian, uh, you know, I listen to different things, but um, it could be history or it could be, so it's not all just on the grace of God. But you could find something and just keep that running, feeding your heart, keeping in view of God's mercy. You could just make a list where every day you're going to write down, or throughout the day, it could be a yellow pad, could be a fancy $20 journal, I don't know, whatever it is, but every day you're just writing down, what has God done for me? What difference does the cross and resurrection make for me? Write down what that means every day. Write it down. Log it. What has God provided to me? How has God been faithful to me? In light of what I deserve, how does God treat me? Keeping a running log. In view of mercy. Here's a discipline. Not a discipline. Here's a practice that you can recognize God's mercy. Look at old pictures. You've got to be very proud if you look at an old picture 20, 30 years ago and you don't say, if you've lived that long, I was an idiot. I've got pictures in my house. I mean, there's, there's a picture in my house that everybody's been over comments on with me in, the, in high school with my wife. Man, I've, we weren't married in high school, but, uh, you know, and I've got the most, well, I, I won't describe it to you because it'll scar you, but they're really 1970s shorts on. I'll just say that, and you'd be scarred. People have seen the picture and thrown up right there. So <laughs> thought about it, just post that picture above the toilet so it's not a mess when people see it and get sick. Uh, but... You, <laughs> 
you just have to review your life. You think you don't need mercy and you don't need God and God hasn't been faithful to you. All you have to do is look back at some things in your life. Look back at some old journals. Look back at some old videos. Look back at some old pictures. Look back at some old job reviews. Well, I don't know. Look back at your grades. I don't know. Look back and you'll go, man. And if you don't conclude I was an idiot, then, and here's the truth. Ten years from now, you'll look back and say I was an idiot. So that's why I need mercy today. Because I'm an idiot. And I need the grace of God today. You got, we have to do what, I don't know what it is for you. I'm giving some things. I don't know what it is for you. But open your eyes to mercy. And number two, open your moments to God. All of life for God is a grandiose mantra that we need to break down, not even into hours, but I would say into moments. Now, I'm going to give you a grid for thinking about this. This is something that helps me, and it may only help me because I'm a pastor. Usually I don't say I'm a pastor, and that's something different because I'm just like everybody else. But this is one thing that's different about being a pastor is I'm responsible for planning what's going on right now. This is called a worship service, a worship gathering, or a liturgy. The word for worship here that we get in this passage is the word that we get liturgy from. It's saying your whole life, here's what it's saying, your whole life is a liturgy. The pastors and the worship team, various people, plan this liturgy, which is coming to a close here in a minute. I'm wrapping. I'm bringing us home now. So there's a liturgy, and if you thought of your day like a liturgy, that would be perfect. I'm not meaning you're standing up in the office and uh, preaching or that you're you know, giving announcements to the family and then having, you know, I, I'm not saying it looks like, but I'm thinking, what if you thought of your day like a worship service? I think that would be very helpful. What do we think? How do I connect my moments to the Lord? So you start with that. How do we start? Well, we kind of officially kick off with a call to worship. We have some announcements at the beginning. But then we kick off. Our first thing is a call to worship. What is that? Well, Rob read us Zephaniah 3. Before we say anything to God, he says something to us. We, so we're, we're hearing from the Lord and then we're responding. So what are your morning moments? What's the liturgy of your day? Do, do you, I, I would suggest starting with God in view. That makes all the difference. Before your feet hit the bed, hit the, hit the floor, getting out of bed, that's the time, yeah, or maybe hit the bed. Uh, before your feet hit the floor, that's the time to say, Lord, Lord, your mercies are new every morning. I'm starting not with my agenda. I'm starting not with the crying baby. I'm starting not with blah, blah, blah. I'm starting with, Lord, you're wonderful. You've given me another day. You're faithful. That, that sets your, that's, that's, that's a call to your day. The faithfulness of God. Morning moments. Offer your day to God. I, I asked for help at the beginning of my day. Now, that's throughout the day, but I ask for help. In the morning, I, I have morning practices that, that, that help me ask, Lord, here's one of mine. This is very personal. Um, I have lower back issues, and I have to stretch in the morning, and if I don't, I pay for it, and I forgot I didn't stretch this morning. So uh, the second service may be interesting, but I may be laying out. But at any rate, so when I am stretching with a weak, painful back, I am thinking. Uh, I'm not trying to be hyper-spiritual. I'm saying, I'm weak. And it's a physical reminder, Lord, I need you. So I'm praying during my stretching and saying, God, help me. My back hurts, yeah, help that. But I need help your whole day. I need help in everything. This is a morning moment where I'm offering uh, my weakness to you and saying, would you be strong? 
in my weakness. It's a physical practice that I have every day that I have to do for physical reasons, but I tie, I try to tie that as an act of offering my day to the Lord, my weakness. You can pray throughout the day, you know, pray or rather pray through your day in the morning. I find it helpful to, if you have a schedule where you know things are coming, to anticipate that and at the beginning of the day say, Lord, I offer you that meeting that's going to happen today, which I don't want to go to. Lord, I offer you that conversation I'm going to have with my boss, which I know is going to be difficult. Lord, I offer you uh, nap time, which I look forward to when the kids nap, but I also know it's going to be a wrestling match to get them to rest. I offer you whatever it is, I offer it to you. So morning moments is a time where you can set the trajectory through prayer, word, practices that set you to be looking to the Lord. Another one is moments of transition. In, a worship, in this worship gathering, we have moments of transition. So we transition out of the singing through a pastoral prayer. We transition uh, from there to a sermon. We transition after the sermon to a song. We transition from the closing prayer time through a benediction to send you into the week. So we have these transition points, and you have those throughout your day. If your day is a liturgy, look for your transitions as a moment to connect with God and connect what you're doing to God. So I will regularly, when I sit down to start my work day, I typically start at a desk. So when I sit down to start my work day at a desk, I will often, I don't do this every day or all the time, sometimes I'm in panic mode, but I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to remember often to say, Lord, I'm sitting down to work right now. I ask for your help, and I offer what I'm doing to you as worship. Well, you're a pastor. Hey, God doesn't view what I'm doing any differently than the spreadsheet that you're working on. It's work to the Lord. It's offering ourselves as living sacrifices. I sit down, so I start my transition into my day, I offer to the Lord. Transition, maybe you have the kind of job where you have appointments. I will try to, between appointments, transition to the next thing and offer myself. If I'm going to be meeting with someone, Lord, I offer myself to you. Help me to serve this person. Help me to love this person. Help me to represent you to this person. Lord, I'm, I'm transitioning now to the next thing. I'm offering it to you. I don't do this perfectly, but I'm just saying, I, I, sometimes I don't do it well at all, but I'm just saying it's a way to think through your day, transitioning. How can I offer it unto the Lord in worship? Thanking God afterwards. Lord, the, that went well. Thank you. Or if it didn't go well, Lord, help. Please redeem that situation. Um, if you're someone who works out of the home and drives home, you know, tr- using your commute, home to transition into if you have a family transitioning into your family okay here's the benediction from work and the you know call to go into my evening time with my family when I commuted and when I had kids home from work or I don't really have much of a commute at all right now but when I commuted and had kids or drove something I would on the way home just ask the Lord help me help me to engage this most important responsibility of my home, and I often didn't do well, but try. I mean, tried to focus. Lord, this is for you. Just pausing, getting my heart in the place it needs to be. So there's morning moments. There's moments of transition that I find very helpful for me. Uh, another one would be moments of thanks. I, I just read a book where an author uh, said basically there's three types of prayer. There's help, thanks, and wow. And uh, so. I didn't agree with the theology of this writer, but I really agree with those three points, help, thanks, and wow. I thought, okay, I do help, okay. I do th- I'm bad at thanks and wow. Thanks is throughout the day, punctuating it with recognizing the hand of God and thanking him, and wow is acknowledging in the moments of our day where God is at work and praising him, saying, 
Look what you did. Look what you've done. So it's that. It's moments of thanks throughout the day, thanking God for opportunities he gives you at your job, with your family, with your friends, with your hobbies, thanking him for your salvation, cultivating gratitude throughout the day by thanking others. Well, they're not Christians. and I don't, You don't have to mention God. Just thank you for doing that. But in your heart, you're thanking God for that person, cultivating gratitude and praise. Meals are a time. If you eat three times a day, that's a time to punctuate, obviously, traditionally with thanks. So it's just these moments of thanks throughout the day. That's, I'm offering my life as worship. I'm offering my drive, my hobbies, my meal. I'm offering my whatever I'm doing and thanking the Lord for that. And that's the last one, I'm kind of transitioning. I'd say moments of offering. Where can I intentionally offer what I'm doing to the Lord during the day? Offer your lives a living sacrifice. Lord, I offer you this project that I'm working on. Lord, I offer you this child that I am loving and serving and training. Lord, I I offer you this conference call before I get on it. Or perhaps in the middle of it, it's never too late. Lord, I offer you this chore. Lord, I offer you this grocery shopping. I give it to you. This is a spiritual act of worship for for the glory. Thank you for the money I have to buy what I'm going to buy today. Thank you. Yesterday, I was on a treadmill, and um, I just had this thought, probably because I was studying this, but I just had this thought in the middle of it. I just said, Lord, I offer myself, I offer my body to you, like this verse. Give me a lot of years you know, to serve you however you want, but I just offer myself to you. Now, that's a spiritual moment. I'm not like this, you know, got my hands up in the gym, got, hey, everybody, he's worshiping the Lord. No, it's not like that. Just in my moment, in a moment, whispering the Lord, Lord, I offer, you know, I offer what I have to you. Someone's going, it ain't pretty, but it's yours, you know. <laughs> I offer this to you. Use me. Thanks. Help. Thanks. Wow. Where can I ask for help for the rest of Monday? Monday, you go to work. Where can you ask for help today? How can you thank God and thank others? Where can you recognize him at work and say, wow, I can't even believe, Lord, you've provided this for me. I can't even believe that I can mess up and fail at work today, and it will not impact my status before you. I have eternal hope in you that's not messed up. I could get laid off today, and I'm still your son or daughter. You'll be faithful to me forever. It's thanks. This may look different for you. Your day may look very different than anything I described. But what it is, opening our moments to God. It's, it's living an intentional life where we're thinking about God throughout our day and not just here. Our working, our sleeping, our eating, our going to work, our walking around life, as Peterson wrote. Paying the bills, doing the chores, taking rest, enjoying entertainment, whatever it is. This worship is a lifestyle, and it, and it ultimately becomes much of our witness because there's nothing more compelling than someone who isn't living for themselves with rank, you know, pride and self-centeredness, but living for God, offering themselves to God, loving God, and loving others. There's nothing more compelling than that witness. And when, you, when people see that, they are affected And we want worship gatherings where the Spirit is present and the gospel is going forth and God is touching people. We want that. But for renewal and revival to come to a city, it can't just be that. It has to be people scattering in worship and worshiping all week long. 
where do you think you get the credibility to invite in, or to tell anybody about Jesus? How could I invite anybody to my church if, if I worship 90 minutes a week and that's it? My life will look no different than anyone else's. But it's when we live all of life this way that we look different in the office, that we look different at the school uh, with, our, with other students, that we look different in the neighborhood, at the park, that our lives communicate something about the grandeur and the glory of God. Listen, if you are living with mercy in view, and that colors, if you have the, the glasses of mercy that colors all that we see, it is contagious. It spills over. It's, it's not a program for evangelism. It's a life of mission. Live for the glory of God and for the love of others. What would happen if everyone in our church went to their places and in all places at all times and in all things offered our lives in worship because of the mercy of God? What would happen? What would happen if multiple every Christian in this city did it? I believe something radical would happen. That really is renewal and revival. It's living our life. It's connecting all of life and not just the quote-unquote religious parts, but all of life to the glory of God. Every day worship. All times, all things, offering ourselves in worship to the God of mercy. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. Present yourselves a living sacrifice to this Lord. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.